You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. Filled with the power of Christ 
shall I fear? Who shall I be afraid? Set our hope on you. We set our hope on your love. We set our hope on the one who is the everlasting God. You are the everlasting God. And I will remain confident I will see the goodness of the Lord. I will remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord. We set our hope on you. We set our hope on your love. We set our hope on the one who is the everlasting God. You are the everlasting God. We set our hope on you. We set our hope on you. We set our hope on the start before the beginning of time. There's no point of reference. I spoke to the dark and flushed out the wonder of light. And as you speak, Hundred billion galaxies are born, and the vapor of your breath, the planets form. The stars were made to worship, so alive. I can see your heart in everything you. Burning star, a signal fire of Creation sings your praises so alive. So alive. Out of your palm. 
don't speak in vain, no syllable empty or void. Once you have spoken, I'll meet you in silence, follow the sound of your voice. And as you speak, a hundred billion creatures catch their breath, evolving in pursuit of what you say. It all reveals the future so See your heart. Everything you say is painted sky on the canvas of your grace. Creation still obeys you so As you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. Well, you lost your life so I could find it here. You left the grave behind you, so will I. I can see your heart. Every 
designed in the work of our You gladly show surrender, so will I. I can see your heart a billion different ways. Every precious one, a child you died to see. If you gave your life to love them so. This is for you. I think you'll find that everything in my life resume speaks for itself, but uh, you know, take your time. <laughs> I'm not perfect, but I believe my numerous good deeds would sway a positive outcome for me. Thank you. I was choir director and these solos for my church for over 27 years. And honey, we lifted up the name of Jesus in that house every single week. Woo! Hey, hey, at least we're here together. I think that means something tragic happened. Oh. You know, people come up to me and they ask me all the time, Pastor, what do you want to be remembered for? And I say, brother, I want to be known as a man who faithfully administered the Word of God. Amen. Yeah, I do think a theme you'll probably see in all that is mission trips. I mean, you know the drill. We go, we serve, we love on a bunch of folks and try to bring peeps to the kingdom. I've led a woman's Bible study. I raised four somewhat godly children. And I remained faithful to my husband for 30 years, which is... I mean, have you met my husband? I guess the main thing is, is that I'm a... I'm a modern-day worship leader. That's me dropping the mic. Oh, and I had over 20,000 people listen and be blessed by my album, Destiny. I'm coming for you. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I guess our biggest qualification to entering uh, would be our puppetry, which is our puppet ministry that we've been doing for about 30 years. 10 years. 10 years? He's the voice guy, and I focus on the creation of the puppets themselves. And what she does is just as important as what he does. <laughs> Not by a long shot. <laughs> His puppets like to argue. They tease each other. Brother Peter, I humbly submit to you that our church attendance was on the rise, lives were being rededicated, and souls were being won. It's all right there on the resume in front of you. Glory to God, amen, hallelujah, amen. In conclusion, I think you have every detail of what I've done, whose lives I've changed, and how my good works have made a huge impact for Jesus. So, to be clear, you want me to use this? Yes, I do. That's my resume. <laughs> it should all be there, unless I'm forgetting something, which I definitely am.
Where's yours? I have it right here. But ultimately, I just want to say that I'm with him. Insufficient versus accepted. None of us want to be insufficient. All of us want to be accepted. Have I told you the one about this couple that had been married over 40 years? The husband's name was Juan. The wife's name was Cello. And Juan and Cello had a wonderful marriage, except that Cello was always on Juan's case. She would be on him constantly. Juan, you didn't pick up your socks off the floor. Juan, you didn't pick up your choners off the floor. Juan, you didn't pick up the clothes and put it in the laundry. Juan, how can you have gone outside and mowed the lawn? Juan, why didn't you do this? Juan, why didn't you do that? So they lived their years of marriage up to more than 40 years. And one day Juan passed away. And so Juan goes before uh, St. Peter at the pearly gates. And as he goes before St. Peter, St. Peter says, okay, Juan, stop right there. He says, uh, before I'm going to let you in uh, to this wonderful paradise, I want for you to, to spell a word. It's a very important word here in heaven, Juan. And so Juan says, oh, okay, St. Peter, I'm, I'm pretty good at spelling, but not real good, but I, I'm pretty good. I'm ready, though. And so St. Peter says to him, Juan, I want you to spell love. And Juan looks at him and he says, love? Love? Awesome. L-O-V-E. Love. And St. Peter looks at him and says, Juan, that's right. Love. Love is what it's all about here in, in heaven. Go ahead and come through the pearly gates and come and make yourself at home in paradise. And Juan goes in there. All right. I made it. I made it to heaven. He's all excited. He goes in there. I can't believe I made it. To heaven, I got accepted. And so he walks into the pearly gates and he has all kinds of fun and life begins to go on there. And, and so time goes on. And uh, there's this, uh, as time goes on, uh, St. Peter got busy doing something. And he says, Juan, I, I, I need, you've been here uh, uh, for a time and you know the drill. I need to go take care of some business and I need for you to man the table here at the pearly gates. And Juan looks at him and says, me? Yeah, I said, I want you to man the table. So, so St. Peter goes off and Juan sits down at the table and there's one person that comes and there's people in line and he's telling him, okay, you know, you need to spell one very important word. You need to spell the word love. And they're spelling love and they're coming in through the pearly gates. And then there's one person that comes to, uh, to right in front of the table and lo to behold, it's cello. And so she gets to there and she says, Juan, is that you? And he says, Cello, wait a minute. Uh, you need to spell one word. And he, she says, Juan, you made it to heaven? And he says, yeah, but Cello, you need to spell one important word. And she says, Juan, 
You know that I want spelling bees. You know that I'm a great speller. You know that I can spell very well. What's the word? And Juan said, you need to spell Czechoslovakia. And Cello went, what? And Juan went, yep. Insufficient versus accepted. Aren't you glad that that's not a true uh, theological way for us to be accepted into heaven, that we're not under Juan's judgment to spell Czechoslovakia? You know, last week we talked about how um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is led by the Holy Spirit as he writes to the church in Rome, and it filters into our lives in modern times of how, uh, how do we get right with God? And, and when we get right with God, uh, we are right with ourselves. And when we are right with ourselves, we begin to get right horizontally with all the people around us. And it's, it's through the gospel, it's through the, the good news that Jesus came and fulfilled everything that we can't fulfill. And then we, we learned that, that Paul wrote this, uh, this, this letter. He put everyone on trial at the very beginning, and, and, and he was talking to these uh, unashamed transgressors, these, these people that sin, and they don't care about, about what you think. They don't care about what you say. They're going to live their, their life their way. They're going to do their own thing. Uh, they're going to sing songs like, I did it my way. And it really doesn't matter what anyone thinks. But as Paul is writing this letter, he, he, he's writing to the whole, uh, uh, covering all of the facets of all humanity, and we all fall into a certain category. So the next uh, character uh, of people that he writes to is those that would be called moralists. And moralists are people that are good, and they think of themselves as, as, as good people. And, and, and a moralist would think, uh, you know, even if there is a God, you know, uh, if there is a God, uh, and if there is heaven, God is going to let me into heaven because I am a good person. And I, I actually think that, that heaven would benefit for me to go there to this place of paradise because of my own goodness. And so uh, this person would read what Paul was, was talking about, about these transgressors, and he would say, oh yeah, of course, I agree with you. Those sinners are guilty, and they deserve all the damnation that they get, but, but as for us, we're not like them. I know that if there's a God, he would say that I'm a good person. In fact, there was a, a, a Stoic moralist by the name of Seneca. And he lived at the time of Paul. And Seneca was an adv advisor and a teacher of Nero, the emperor. And you can still read his letters today. You can still read the writings and the philosophies of Seneca. He had a lot of clout. He had a big platform. Now, Stoics uh, were people who internalized their emotions so, uh, and their expression. So when they got angry, uh, they wouldn't show their anger. When they got uh, joyful and happy, they would not show their excitement. Uh, they were stone-faced. They, they, they were rigid about what they did. And the great theologian F.F. Bruce, he wrote this about Seneca. He said, not only did he, Seneca, exalt great moral virtues, but he exposed hypocrisy. 
He preached the equality of all human beings. He acknowledged the pervasive character of evil. He practiced and inculcated daily self-examination. He assumed the role of a moral guide. Seneca would read Paul's letter, and he would say, yeah, they all deserve what they're going to get because of how they live, but I'm a good person, and people consider me a good person. I'm a teacher of what is good. The emperor comes to listen to me. And can I tell you something? That there's been Senecas throughout the centuries. Everywhere that there's been humans, there's always been people that think that they are good. There's people that are passing through the highway right now. They think they're good. There's people in your community that think that they're, that they're good. I had a professor in college who was one of these kinds of people. She was my cultural anthropologist professor. Later on, I had her in philosophy. And I'll come back to her later in my message. People who other people would say they're good. Ah, oh, that person, oh, that's Steve. He's a good person. Ah, oh, Sally. Oh, see, she's such a good person. But I want to give you a revelation. And we get it from the scriptures. And that is that good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. You see, if anyone was good enough, then God would not have had to send his son. We would have no need for the Messiah, the Christ. And, and the danger of us thinking that, that we're good is it can lead us to judge those around us. That's why I titled today's message, Critically Confused. You know, the Holy Spirit uh, puts his attention uh, on putting all people who are good on trial. And, and we find, we find this. We find that while people who are critically confused, you will realize that God's judgment is inescapable. That's exactly what Paul's going to bring out in Scripture. And, and I, I'm going to look at an outline from John Stott again this week, the great theologian, and I think we're going to see that, that God's judgment is inescapable. The second thing is God's judgment is righteous. And the third thing that we'll learn is God's judgment is impartial. So the first thing that we learn about when we're critically confused is that God's judgment is inescapable. Have you noticed that people have a tendency to be a lot more critical about others than they are about themselves? Let me put it another way. We have a tendency, I have a tendency to be a lot more critical about other people than I am about myself. And usually our judgment of others is harsher for the same things that we may be doing ourselves. And I'll tell you why this happens. It's because we can get critically confused. That's exactly the, the, the foundation of Paul's thought in this section of the letter. 
that we're looking at today. In chapter 2, verse 1, Paul starts out as he's writing to the church in Rome, but, it, but it, it, it's to us in, in modern days. And he says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man. O man is a reference to, to men and women in general. He says, you have no excuse, O man, for uh, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the, 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 the kindness of God or, or God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? It's a real struggle for good people because there's an internal battle going on called our flesh. And there's an external struggle going on, brought on by the enemy of our souls. So there is a, a, a real, the struggle is real. Internally, our flesh is fighting against the good that we want to do. And on the outside, we have an enemy that wants to continually tempt us and lead us down a road of destruction. So we juggle trying to keep our self-respect while at the same time we're faced with the sins that we commit. The kryptonite that hinders the good in our lives. And we all have kryptonite. But moral people or good people hide behind a veil of good. You know, the, the moral person does the same thing that the unashamed transgressor does, but you put on a whole different disguise. This is the way that uh, Eugene Peterson put it in, uh, in the message paraphrase. He says, those people are on a dark spiritual, uh, or I'm sorry, those people are on a dark spiral downward. And he's talking about uh, the first category of people, the unashamed transgressor. And then he goes on and he says, but if you, moral people, think that leaves you on high ground where you can point your finger at others, think again. Every time you criticize someone, you condemn yourself. It takes one to know one. Judgmental criticism of others is a well-known way of escaping detection in your own crimes and misdemeanors. But God isn't so easily diverted. He sees right through all such smoke screens and holds you to what you've done. And God is not telling you, and He's not telling me, not to be critical, or better yet, to not to discern from right or wrong. But what the Word of God is telling us is that when we are critical or when we are discerning of what's right and what's wrong, it's not our job to condemn. And the reason for that is because our lens is skewed. Our lens is skewed with, with sin. All of us fall short of the glory of God. We'll see that uh, coming up in, in the near future in, in, in the book of Romans. All of us, whether we're moral or we're not, we all have sin 
in our lives. And when you judge others, you're saying that you know better. But here's the thing. When you know better, you practice the same things. And that was the exact point that Paul was trying to make. He said, the judgment of God is inescapable because you practice the same things that you know better and you're judging others of doing. And that's the danger with us as people. Here's an example. A good person may be having sex outside of marriage. And that's not God's good intention for all people. But he may explain or she may explain, uh, I'm not out there having sex with, with every, uh, every other person every other day. Me and my, my, my girlfriend or, or me and my, my boyfriend, we love each other. And, and we don't even call it sex. You know, they call it sex. And, you know, they, it, it's all dirty and all that. But we don't call it sex. We call it intimacy. And it's intimacy because we love one another. And you see, we justify what we are doing by condemning what others are doing, but we do the same thing. Or we, or we fudge on the little things, like coming into work a little bit late and leaving a little bit early. But we do it in a very nice way because we're good people, but we judge others that steal and they cheat. Because they're not good people, we are. Or, or we, we justify ourselves by magnifying the faults of others and minimizing the very same thing that we do ourselves. That's why the Holy Spirit had Paul write, you didn't think, did you, that just by pointing your finger at others, you would distract God from seeing all your misdoings and from coming down on you hard? Or do you think that because he's such a nice God, he'd let you get off the hook? Better think this one through from the beginning. God is kind, but he's not soft. In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and he leads us into a radical life change. You see, it's a kindness of God that draws us to Jesus. It's not the wrath of God, but the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It leads us to metanoia. It leads us to a place where we turn away from the lifestyle that we were in and leads us into the loving grace and the forgiveness of a Savior who paid it all for us. Not to keep us in the same lifestyle, not to keep us in the same filth that we were in, but to progressively move us out through the power of the Holy Spirit in what is called sanctification, where he leads us out. But see, moral people, good people, they don't think they need this sanctification because they don't need God. And without God, we don't receive the forgiveness of everything that we all do. We all fall short of the glory of God. Except we judge others greater and condemn them for the same things that we do. Many of you know that I worked underground. When I went to work underground, 
right out of, right out of the first year of college, I uh, didn't know Jesus, never said yes to him, didn't walk with him. I lived a life of, of sin, a, a cheater, a liar, a thief. And yet, I think many people might have considered me in some ways a, a, a decent person, a good person. But God saved me radically, and he, he did a complete change in my heart. And um, they, uh, they shut the mine down. It was, it was a, the largest copper-producing underground mine, not in North America, but in the world. And overnight, they shut the, this, this mine down. And they sent all of these miners to uh, get retrained to universities, to colleges, trade schools. And I ended up going to a college. I, I was already taking uh, some theological courses uh, from the church here, Living Word Chapel. And when they shut the mine down, I actually was brought on here to the church as an associate pastor. But I went back. I went to school, and uh, and all these miners, they're just we just uh, just infiltrated this this small community college here in the area outside of Oracle in Aravipa, and we went there. And I'll never forget how uh, I went back, and I was a changed person because first time I had gone to school right out of high school, uh, you know, I didn't know God. I lied and cheated and did you know what people do. Now I went back and I, was, I had a whole different mindset, a whole different heart. And I remember just really plugging into my schoolwork and, and just uh, by the grace of God, I did, I did well. But there was a professor there uh, and she was uh, an agnostic. She believed maybe there is a God, maybe there's not. And uh, if there is a God, hey, I, I'm a good person. That was her, that was her thought. And so... Uh, these, these two years that I was in this community college, uh, before I got my degree, I got to know her, and we began to pray for her uh, because she was in, an, uh, we would see her in, in class, and uh, to make a long story short, I was asked to give the uh, commencement uh, speech, and when I did, afterwards, um, she came to me and she said, I, I would really love to go visit the church where you, where you are at, where you're one of the leaders, and uh, she started coming to church, and she ended up uh, giving her life to Jesus. She gave her life to Jesus. Here was, here was this good person that knew that she had something missing. It was a lot deeper than that. When she gave her life to Christ, uh, my wife and I began to take her through some, some classes on how we can become free in Christ. And we did not know the fullness of the story, what was really underneath all of this uh, uh, kind of a facade that we put on as people that we have everything going on. Well, it turned out that in this, uh, in this story that she uh, would make a conscious decision for uh, more than seven years uh, to not take her life every day. She struggled with suicide. And uh, God saved her from that. You see, there's, there's a lot more going on in our heart that's going on on the exterior. And what I know for sure is that every person needs the love of Jesus Christ. Every person needs the healing that comes through what he did on the cross. Every person needs the power of the Holy Spirit 
coming in and, and, and working and changing our lives and our hearts. And so Jesus sent me to this community college where it wasn't even a uh, um, seminary. And I believe it with all my heart that God sent me there just so that this one person could get saved and say yes to Jesus. And you may be listening today and you may maybe have never said yes to Jesus and, and maybe you're hiding behind, I'm a good person, but you know that being a good person is not good enough because the reality is that all of us, all of us fall short. None of us do this thing called life perfectly. We all have mishaps. We all have things that we do, things that we actually hate. In those hidden places, in those places that we think that no one sees. But God sees. And God doesn't want to pound you. God wants to save you. And that's the whole thing that, that, that Paul is talking about right here. Uh, the second thing is that God's judgment is righteous. You see, God doesn't judge you like your neighbor judges you. And vice versa, God does not judge your neighbor like you judge them. Critically confused people say things like, they deserve it. Look at what they've done. Look at what they've done to me. Look at what they've done to others. I'm, I'm angry at what they've done and, and how they live, and, and they should suffer. Some would say, I would, I'll do anything for them to suffer because I'm a good person. I can't believe that they would do that to me. Paul, later in this, in this letter, he, he says in, in, in chapter 12, verse 19, he said, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You see, our anger, our wrath burns inside of us and it burns us up. It affects every aspect of our lives. Critically confused people burn with self-righteous anger because they don't know the heart of people. They really don't know the heart of God. They misjudge their own hearts because they really believe that they are good in themselves. They really believe that they are better than most. There was a, a, a wealthy young ruler who came to Jesus and in his own assessment, he thought that he was good. And he said to Jesus, good teacher. And he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus answered him and he said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And he tells him, follow the commandments. And he listed all the commandments except for one, Jesus did. And the young ruler said, teacher, I, I, since a, I was a boy, I have done all of those. I have kept them all. And Jesus said, well, one thing lacks. He said, go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. The young ruler looked and he put his head down. He was just sad and burdened because of all the wealth that he had. And he walked away. And Jesus knew everything about this young ruler, just like Jesus knows everything about you and about me. And he knew that his love for money was greater than his love for God. 
And that's why he said, give everything to the poor. It had to do not with his material wealth because God had given him everything. God could give him everything again. It had to do with his heart. It's a heart issue. And it should speak to all of us. We have what we have because of God's goodness. It's all his. And God is not interested in our possessions and our materials, our material wealth, but he wants our heart. And every relationship, every decision is distorted because of the heart issue. When our hearts are wrong, our relationships are wrong. When our hearts are wrong, our decisions are wrong. You see, God's wrath doesn't eat up his insights. Instead, his love leads him in everything that he does. And his view of, of, of everything and his view of everyone is not smeared with sin. And so Paul continues to write, and he says, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, now he's talking to good people. I'm going to say this again. Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. When his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will repay each person according to what they have done to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. In our assessment of ourselves, we can be stubborn. It's hard for us to admit that we need to repent. It's so hard for us to say, Lord, I am wrong. And turn away from those things that wrong us, those things that lead us to do things that misalign our lives and turn back to God. But what I know for sure is that it's what we do in secret places that are exposed to an all-knowing God. And beloved, we, we all have them. We all have that kryptonite. We all have those things that, that, that they creep into our lives and they want to destroy our lives, whether you are a, an unashamed sinner or you are a moral person. All of us, and next week we'll talk about the religious persons, all of us have this war going on with those things that try to destroy us. That's why we need Jesus. That's why he didn't come and give a cash payment for your, for your sins. He came and gave his life. He came and gave his blood. His blood was given not for one, but for all. The good person says, I haven't done anything wrong. But God will show otherwise. 
Now, now our judgment on the last day, and this is important, it will not be determined. It will not be, the, the judgment will not be to determine our sin, but to expose them. Hear me now. Our, our sin is determined the day that we do it to an omniscient God, an all-knowing God. He deter, that's determined the, the day that we commit it. It's not to, to say, let's see what you've done. He knows what we've done. But to expose it. But here's the great news. What a beautiful thing to go into this judgment forgiven and all of our sins to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You see, you can go with all your good work, just like that video said, you know, I'm bringing this, 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 I'm bringing this. Insufficient. Because just like we have at funerals, we put down, we put these videos up, these PowerPoints, of all of the things that we've done, uh, of our loved ones have done in their life, and we always put all the good things. We never put the shameful things. But here's the thing about it, that God knows everything that we've done. Every funeral that we've done, God knows what they've done. And they're either going to go with some of the good and a lot of the bad or they're going to enter in with what Jesus did. And he paid it all. And his blood cleanses you and it washes you clean. The Apostle John put it like this in his uh, first letter. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, beloved, God's judgment is righteous, but His forgiveness is great. His forgiveness is filled with grace. And the third thing that he, that he teaches uh, moral people is God's, God's judgment is impartial. The Holy Spirit is leading Paul to build up this case against those people who think of themselves higher than they ought to, whether they're Gentiles or whether they're Jewish. And in verse 11 he says, God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will perish apart from the law. That's the Gentiles. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when the Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts, sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ. And Paul says, as my, as my gospel declares, God is not partial. The Gentiles have the creation to reveal their creator. We saw that. And they have their conscience to reveal right from wrong. Your conscience reveals your sin. Even though you can sever it, 
The first time you hit someone, you know it's wrong. The first time someone hits you, you know that it's wrong. The first time you cheat, you know you shouldn't do it. Because your conscience tells you you shouldn't be doing that. Your conscience, outside of the law, points you to a need of a Savior. And the Jews who have the law, uh, to point them directly to God's decrees. And the law is perfect. And it reveals a perfect God. But here's the thing about the law. Is that it points us to the need of a Savior because there has never been a person that has ever kept the law perfectly save one, except for one, and that was Jesus Christ. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill the law. And he fulfilled the law in every detail, every dot, every T was crossed. And Jesus kept it perfectly because we can't. And we, we nailed him to the cross. Our sins put him on the cross. And he took it for us. And he shed his blood so that we could be made whole. So that we could have life and have it abundantly. Everyone needs a savior. Good people, they don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. The reason that I say that good people don't go to heaven is because Jesus said, there is no one who's good except God. And so today, God is calling you. He's calling you to say yes to Jesus. Because Jesus already said yes to you. And it's as easy as A, B, C. The A stands for admit that you're a sinner. For, for that person that, that uh, says, I'm a good person, it goes against the grain. It goes against, uh, it's like our nails on a chalkboard because uh, we think innately that we're good people, but the reality is that all of us are fallen creatures. We fall short of the glory of God. And, and so you come to the place that you admit that your way is not the right way, that doing it my way is not the right way. And the B stands for believe in Jesus you've lived your life and every year you believe you're a little bit better you're a little bit better you're not like other people you're better than them you're better than them and you believe a lie because the reality is that we're not better than anyone else all of us all of us have faults except for Jesus and so we trust in him and we trust in the Father. And we change our, our direction. We, we, we come to the sea where we confess Him as Lord. And we choose to follow Him from this day forward. We, we're not like that rich young ruler who said, Good teacher, what must I do? What must I do? Instead, we're saying, O oh Lord, O oh Savior, 
I cannot do it on my own. I'm going to trust what you've done. And I'm going to follow your lead. And you follow the lead of the Savior. You follow the lead of the Redeemer, the one who came to give you another chance. And you confess him as your Lord and you, you receive him into your heart. That heart, that calloused heart, that heart, that prideful heart that, that thinks that it's better than everyone else. You, you allow for that to be broken and for the, him to give you a heart of flesh where you feel the love for God, where you feel the love for people, where you feel the love for who you really are. And you pray this prayer. You say, God, I am a sinner. And today I realize that I'm not that good. Today I come to the one who is good, and that's you. And I choose to confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I believe that, Jesus, you went to the cross at Calvary and that your sacrifice sufficed for all my sin, that your sacrifice paid it all, and you give me complete forgiveness, and so I put my trust in you, and I, and, and, I, and I choose, I choose to confess you as my Lord and Savior, and I choose to follow you from this day forward and to receive you into my heart and into my life because I know that you change lives. I trust that you will transform me into a person, not a good person, but a saved person. Not into a, a, a person that does it in my own efforts, but into a forgiven person that does it through your efforts, Lord, and through the power of the Holy Spirit that I can walk out the righteousness of God. So I pray this in the powerful and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, you can join many who have prayed that prayer and have been welcomed into the family of the living God where we submit to his will, not our will, where we build his kingdom, not our kingdom, where we glorify his name, not our name, where we're here to make Jesus famous, not make us famous. And if you prayed that prayer, I love, I would so love for you to put the Alleluia praise hands emoji on the, on the bottom of the screen if you're on Facebook Premiere. And, uh, and I would love on, on, our, on our connection card on our website, our e-card, that you would just uh, go there and, and, and just say, I said yes to Jesus. Today I said yes to Jesus. We would love that. We want to rejoice with you. God has such an amazing plan for your life. God, God has such an amazing plan for your marriage. You know, that, 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 uh, uh, that professor that, that, that was very intellectual, she, had, she thought she had everything going on. And, and, and we thought she had, all, uh, she had her life going on, but there was so much going on internally. And she got saved and set free through Jesus Christ. God wants to do the same thing for you. He loves you. And we want to be a church, Living Word Chapel, we want to be a church that comes alongside and we encourage you, we strengthen you, we uphold you. Because we believe that, that we're committed to love and empower and transform people through the Living Word. So God loves you. We would love to uh, uh, connect with you. And more than that, God would love to connect with you. God bless you and have a wonderful, wonderful week.
This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.